In the name of God, amen. 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 Please be seated. Five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes. Moments so dear. Five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes. How how do you measure measure a year? In daylights, in sunsets, in midnights, in cups of coffee. In inches, in miles, in laughter, in strife, 525,600 minutes. How do you measure a year in life? 525,600 minutes and journeys to plan times almost 50. How do you measure the life of a man? in the truths that he learned, or the times that he cried, in the bridges he burned, or the way that he died. You don't sum up a life in an obituary, three paragraphs about a man who was born in California, went to high school in DC, played varsity soccer, college back in California. At some point he studied in Oxford, came back to DC, and has been here for 20 years. 525,600 minutes times almost 50. I found myself um, pulling back all my psychology human development books and looking at you know, the, the, the tasks of life, right? That we all, we all are here in some, in some measure to, to, to work through, to make it through Piaget and all of the things that we must learn as our brain's development, or Erickson, the series of psychosocial crises that we must master, trust versus mistrust in infancy to gain the virtue of trust, autonomy versus shame in early childhood to gain the virtue of our wills, initiative versus guilt in late elementary, and there we master the gift of competency in adolescence, ego identity versus role confusion, the virtue of fidelity in young adulthood, intimacy versus isolation, gaining the virtue of love. In middle adulthood, gener generativity versus stagnation, and the virtue gained the ability to care. And in the last stages of our lives, the crisis between our ego integrity versus despair to gain the virtue of wisdom. 
How do you measure the life of a man? Kohlberg added the layer of our moral development, pre-moral punishment versus obedience. How do I avoid getting punished? Or what's in it for me? And then we move on to conventional moral development, where we, we grow up to be good girls and boys according to the norms of our tribe or our family or our citizenship, acting in line with what's expected of us trying to follow the norms of authority. And then we might get cynical if we look at those authority figures and say, well, you know, they're not doing, they're not living up to what I'm supposed to be living up to, living up to them. And then for some of us, a principled morality with a focus on justice and dignity and a common good for all, a higher purpose, How do you measure the life of a man whose life ends at 50? He had attained so much, and he had so much ahead. How do you measure the life of a man? I have a s notes um, from a sermon he preached a year ago. And he kind of walked through his own life from the lens of faith. And Lane preached some version. I only have the notes, so I'm only going to give you the highlights. But what he said was he wanted to talk about his spiritual growth from a child to a man. And uh, he said that it was mostly a journey moving from his head to his heart that his first conversion to the faith was largely one of the mind. And in his first decade as a Christian, he was very concerned to have all the right answers. <laughs> he wanted to be a good Christian. And good Christians possessed truth. And if good Christians had the right truth, it would be expressed in compassion. These are his notes, by the way, not mine. And the church. <laughs> And the church had to be clear and rational and logical. You can see where the ego crisis would come in now, right? <laughs> God, God was to be very transcendent, far more transcendent than among us. But then he said he moved from this regimented spirituality as he began to discover his heart, he got married. He became a dad. And his concerns shifted from knowing things about Jesus to deepening his relationship with Jesus. And over the last 10 years, 12 years, he said, the best thing I could do for my people was to grow my heart and to care for my heart. And that I could be most effective in my love of others if I tended to that love. So he focused on different things 
He has so much, he said. He wanted to learn. For those, I knew Lane only in this last part. Um, and the moment he met me, for God knows what reason, he decided that he loved me, which made it very easy to love him in return. And, and I didn't know anything about the past, right? So he's telling me, the first time he comes into my office, he's telling me, you have to come to Ascension in St. Agnes as soon as possible. I said, okay, <laughs> having no idea why. And he's walking, you know, he's marching me through this sanctuary and, and he's just grinning from ear to ear and I have no idea why. Because all I knew was his heart and his decision in those years to live wholeheartedly with a willingness to change, to grow and to change. But then he wrote in another place, the most difficult part about life is that it's not always clear what we need to change and how our attitudes and values and habits need to evolve. It may not be clear how our identity and sense of self and vision needs to develop. And it's not even clear that we'd be willing to make those changes. Now there's an honest man. We need to change, but we don't know what needs to change, always. And even when we know, how willing are we to do it? How do you measure the life of a man? One more quote of his. There are a few simple precepts to follow. This is Lane. Few in this world, there is much darkness and meanness. And the darkness and meanness mix with the clear light of God. And we notice that there are lots and lots of gray areas, both in terms of moral and correct beliefs. We want to have high standards, but we must also be very careful of our judgments in our tests of orthodoxy, in our tests of morality, we should rather focus on the beauty that Christ shows us. What do we see in the glistening glory of Christ? What do we see in the beauty of God? That God loves us, that God unites us, that God wants to save us, that God makes all things new that God is with us. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has a theory about um, being in the presence of a dying child. And she says, when you're in the presence of a dying child, you watch, you watch the moral and spiritual development of the human race move very quickly. Because a dying child moves through those stages as if given one, one after another for the child to receive. I don't know if that's true, but what I do know about Lane 
is that at the end of his life, he attained a wisdom and a peace. Not, not peace for what he was leaving behind. I think he fought that till his last breath. Right? But for himself and for his God. And his great sadness was not to be here for you and with you and to reap the joy of all that awaited him with you and to watch you grow and live and love. But he was at peace with his love. And he wants us to know God's love. The other thing I know about losing someone you love is that you don't lose them completely. Because they, all the things that Lane could have been, would have wanted, would have done or said, are somehow going to be lived out through you and for you. I don't know exactly how that will happen, but it's going to happen. And so your relationship with him will continue. Just not in the way he would have wanted. And we're never going to get over that. You'll learn to live with it. And you will heal. And you'll rebuild your life with this loss at the center. And you'll be whole again. But you're not going to be the same. Nor should you. Nor would you want to. Five hundred, twenty-five thousand, six hundred minutes times the years of your life. Measure them as Lane would want in love. Amen.